Okay, book of Amos, chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you uh, for this time in your word. Your word is what builds us up, which edifies us, which draws us in. And Lord, just think about this morning, Lord, you giving a full-on Bible study in the Old Testament in Luke chapter 24. And here we are in the Old Testament. And we just pray, Father, that you would bless this word this morning, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the book of Amos. Now we had a, for a variety of reasons, we had a smaller crowd last week. So I wanted to just do just a brief little introduction again. Can you put up the timeline, Dave, of Amos? Amos, the word, um, the name appears nowhere else in the Old Testament. It means burden or pain. It is thought that it's, it's, it wasn't this man's, this prophet's real name, but it was given to him by mockers because he was just a burden. Get this burden off of us. Tell him to stop. Or he's a pain, he's a thorn in their side. Get this thorn out of us. And as a sign of humility, he took on the name Amos. And so right here, uh, it's important to understand um, roughly where the prophets lie. If you can scroll down, I always get this wrong. Thank you. You can just scroll down. Oh, we need a little. Dave is multitasking. We need to clone Dave. Okay. So right here, you see Amos. Elijah's here. Remember, Elijah ministered at the same time as Ahab, married to Jezebel. And then Elisha's here. This is, by the way, Queen Athaliah, who's Jezebel's daughter. She wasn't much better, possibly worse. And here you have Amos. This is the northern kingdom here on the left that the, the ten tribes which had there'd been a civil war. Can you go back up, uh, Dave? So there had been a, a civil war after Solomon, and the, Israel was divided. And so the line of the Messiah on the right, this is Judah, eight or nine good kings. But the, uh, in the north, the ten tribes in the north, every one of these wi- kings, wicked, evil, every one of them. However... That did not stop God from sending his prophets to them. And in fact, who did he send? His heavyweights, Elisha, Elijah, and, and now Amos, at the time of Jeroboam the second, um, who was a king. He was a king in which who, from a natural perspective, was a very successful king. He expanded the area of Israel greatly, and they were very powerful at that time, and they prospered greatly. And we'll, we'll get to more of that. But his, his ministry was in the northern kingdom. Actually, do we, have that, do we have the map, Dave? Can we just put up the map? 
So he's in the north, uh, in the northern kingdom. We'll see it in a second. So this is the ten tribes in the north are are right here. Judah, the line of the Messiah, where here's Jerusalem is up here. The kings of the southern kingdom were the line that went right down to Jesus. His ministry was primarily right here in what we know as Bethel, which means house of God. That's where Jacob met the Lord, the ladder going to heaven, the angels coming down and up, which is uh, right here. The king, the first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, put up a golden calf there and said, look, I don't want you going to Jerusalem, but you don't have to. You can worship God right here. I'll just make this calf, and you worship this calf. And so God was not happy. He was not pleased. He made up his own religion, really, with with different feasts, and um, the Levites were not priests, but but anyone could be a priest. And so, uh, but... At the time that Jeroboam II, the king, reigned, he controlled all this area around here. He, he more or less dominated it, right down to, to, to Moab in, uh, in the south. So with that, it says, verse 1 says, the words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa. He was a sheep breeder. He was a, a, a man who we find out, I think it's in chapter 7, he was... Uh, he said in chapter 7, he says, I, I wasn't a prophet or even the son of a prophet, uh, but I was called. And, and, and the Lord calls us out into ministry regardless most of the time of our background. In fact, a background which is a humble background, usually um, that's an advantage over everyone else because there's just more humility, there's more brokenness, there's more of a, uh, you know, the Bible says that in, in our weakness we're, we're strong. And so he's just a, a, a shepherd, he's a sheep herder. Um, and so, uh, but ch- let's get into chapter three. It says, hear the word of the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. Notice here he calls Israel a family. Egypt in the Old Testament uh, is, I guess what you would call the, the, the central act of redemption, which was also, of course, a, a type of Christ. The last chapter of Luke, we were this morning, Jesus gave an Old Testament survey to those two guys who were on their road to Emmaus, and it says that he, he taught them about himself in all the scriptures. So one of those places would be Israel being rescued out of slavery from Egypt is a type of the salvation that God does with us when he rescues us from slavery. But central act of redemption in the Old Testament um, was the rescue from Egypt. And, And you constantly see this throughout the Old Testament. The prophets telling the people, remember, I took you out of slavery. And, and I've talked about this many times. In your devotion time with God, it is so valuable to begin for just a few moments remembering, God, you took me out of slavery. It's a constantly a reminder to the people of Israel. 
And, and then it says this in verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only have I known in all the families of the earth. They were God's elect. They, there was a great privilege there. Now, unfortunately, as with many Christians throughout history who have recognized the doctrine of, of grace that, that they were, were called out and they're children of God, there is a tendency, there was a tendency in Israel as there is even to this day to feel like, oh, I have this great privilege. It says, it says you only have I known, only God really, really knows me, and therefore I can kick back. I can be less vigilant about my holiness, about my walk with God. And, and there was a slothfulness, a laziness that set into their walk. They were abusing grace. And, and, and people have been abusing grace throughout history. Uh, they were doing it in the New Testament. And uh, in Romans chapter 6, that famous verse, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, should we just go out and go for it and sin because we're in grace? I, I see this same disease today in the body of Christ. I, I, from time to time, I, I see it with uh, brothers and sisters uh, in our own church. I've seen it in my own life, taking advantage of the grace of God. Because, man, when you read something like Hosea chapter 3, verse 2, you can get proud. You only have I known of all the families of earth. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that God doesn't know anybody else? He doesn't realize there's like hundreds of millions of other people? No, of course not. He, he's very well aware that there's other people, but there's this sense that the word know there, and we've, we've talked about this many times, it's the Hebrew word yada. The Bible in Genesis 4.1 says, Adam knew Eve and bore Cain. It's, that, this kind of knowledge speaks of intimacy. So he's saying um, of Israel, only you have I known, meaning that sense of in intimacy. So in Matthew chapter uh, 7, verse 23 Remember, the, the Lord uh, says to the wicked, he says, I never knew you. He says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who comes to, uh, calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is above. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and, and, and I will say, I, I never knew you. And, and they'll say, what do you mean? We, we cast out devils in your name. We, we heal the sick. And, he, and he'll say, I never knew you, meaning there was never that relationship, that born-again relationship where he was invited to take over the throne of the heart. Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my sheep. My sheep know me. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.19 says, The solid foundation of God stands having this seal. 
that the Lord knows those who are his. So it's, it's that when he says, you only have I known of the families of earth, it's speaking of that intimacy with the children of God. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Because you are in a privileged position, you will be punished. And how many of you have figured this out the hard way? That once you're in Christ, you're all of a sudden you find yourself on a shorter leash. I find myself on a shorter leash the more I grow in Christ, the more I grow in responsibility. The things that I would do today, I, 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 I don't get, a, you know, 20 years ago, I would have gotten away with them, but, but as I grow older in the Lord, it's, it's like, you know, if I do something that everyone around me is doing, I'll be the only one caught. Well, why, Lord? Everyone else is doing it. Yeah, but you, you're, you're a child of mine. And he says, you only, ha- you only have I known, therefore I will punish you. Is everyone following me? Verse 3, can two walk together when, can two walk together unless they are agreed? It's a famous, not too many verses from Amos are that, that well known. This one is. Can two walk together unless you are, unless they are agreed? And, 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 and so this is a good verse to meditate on. Are we in agreement with the Lord Jesus? If not, how can we walk with them? If, if we've been dried up in our spiritual life, could it be because we're really not in agreement with them? You know, in, in, in Luke chapter six, where Jesus says, I say to you, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. When you read that, are you in agreement with that? Or are you saying, that's crazy? Are you in agreement with Jesus? Are you... Are you in the company that you keep or you know if you're single and you're interested in, in, in courting you need to be in agreement with whoever you're courting the, the, the Bible says this famous verse it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 what fellowship has righteousness have with lawlessness what Communion has light with darkness. What accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Now, should we be friends of sinners, of unbelievers? Absolutely. But who are we binding our hearts with? Are we, are we with, doing it with people who we can honestly be in agreement with? And so the answer, can two walk together unless they're agreed? He says, you guys, you know my law, and in your hearts you're not in agreement with it. So the answer is what to verse 3? The question to the the answer is no. And then verse 4 through 6, they're all rhetorical 
questions. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Uh, No. Apparently, anyone an expert in lions here? I I, I, I guess a, a young lion, they roar when they have prey with them in the den. Will a a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a a, a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? The point is, if we are not in agreement, how can you expect me to walk with you? How can you expect me to answer prayer? How can you, why are you complaining that there's no answered prayer in your life if, if, if you're not in agreement with me, is what he's saying. Verse seven, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of comfort. It gives me a lot of comfort that the Lord does reveal his secrets to his servants, the prophets, meaning there's a prophetic ministry in the body of Christ. And we can actually, with confidence, go, go to church and know, wow, you know, the Lord's not going to keep us in the dark. The prophetic ministry, when I say prophetic ministry, it's supremely a prophetic ministry. It's not about the future. In the Bible, the prophets do mostly what Amos is doing right now. They're just speaking truth into people's lives. And it's a very comforting thing to me to know that the God doesn't reveal his secret, that that that. It says the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his prophets. What a privilege. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? He's saying, look, don't blame me for being all hard and tough on you. The Lord's spoken to me. I'm sorry, I gotta say what the Lord has told me to say. And the Lord will do this. He'll he'll, He'll put a burden on your heart towards someone. And he'll make you miserable until you share that with that other person. He'll just make you miserable. And I can't help but, but get us, getting us to the point where we're going to be miserable and, unless we share with the Lord. Verse 9, Proclaim in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble on the mountains of Samaria, see great tumults in her midst and the oppressed within her, for they do not know to do right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. And so, can we get that map up one more time, Dave? So, proclaim in the palaces of Ashdod. That's right there. This is in the Gaza Strip. Enemies, historical enemies, uh, to this day, of, of Israel, the Philistines. And then he says, he says, proclaim in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt, say, look all of you towards Samaria. Look all of you towards Samaria. These people don't know what to do right. This was a, would have been an incredibly inflammatory thing to be saying for Amos to be saying here in Bethel because 
Ashdod, and, um, Ashdod was a, a, an enemy. And they, they looked down upon this enemy, as was Egypt. And, and essentially what Amos is saying is, hey, you enemies, <laughs> hey, you enemies of Israel, look upon this country. They got it all wrong. You know, it's really humbling when our enemies, the enemies of God, or people who are not Christians, point out something in us that is sin. Uh, you know, there was a couple times, uh, more than a couple times, I, yeah, I was in the, the secular workforce for 20 plus years where like a boss who, who didn't even believe in the Lord, you know, you did this. It's a humbling thing when you're told by, a, confronted by an unbeliever. <laughs> but that's, that, that, that's, sometimes that's what it takes for us to awake, open our eyes is for a, a, an enemy like Ashdod or Egypt saying, look, you guys, you guys are really evil. You, what, 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 why are you doing this? And so that's the, uh, that's the thought there. Uh, verse 10, for they do not know how to do right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Now there's going to be a lot of reference to wealth here. Shocking references to wealth because they had built up a tremendous amount of wealth. And they, the fact that they were so wealthy, they falsely concluded, oh, well, we must be right with God. So here's the first reference here. Uh, there's going to be a number of others to that, that wealth. And they were just presuming, oh, surely we're good with God. Look at how much we're prospering. Verse 11, therefore, thus says the Lord, an adversary shall be around the land. He shall sap your strength from you and your palaces shall be plundered. Now, the Assyrians were going to be coming into the area and fulfill this very prophecy. They would begin to attack after Amos' Amos's ministry, and they would begin to sap Israel's strength, and eventually they'd completely wipe them out. Thus says the Lord, verse 12, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out. Now, is that graphic or what? A shepherd, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear? So there's a piece of a, a, a sheep leg, you know, he's munching on, a lion is munching on a, on a sheep, and he's got this sheep leg sticking out of his mouth. And the shepherd comes along and says, hey, that's mine, and rips it out. And he's saying, just like that happened, the Assyrians are going to come and rip you out of Israel and take you abroad. And this happened. The, the Assyrians actually, uh, they, they basically had a policy of forced emigration. And they repopulated this whole area up here to kingdoms all over the world which they controlled. They became a world empire. But, you know, this is what the Lord does sometimes to really get people's attention. We've seen this. You know, Hosea going and marrying a prostitute. That really got people's attention. Uh, the book of Ezekiel, he's cooking his food with dung which would have been just an outrageous defilement for a Jew. And they would have come along, you know, whoa, Ezekiel, you prophet, you holy man, why are you doing this? 
Well, just like I'm defiling my food, you guys have defiled the country. And so here he is getting their attention. As a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out of dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and on the edge of a couch. So couches at this time are you know, something the rich had. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord, the God of, um, of hosts, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. Speaking of Bethel right there. And uh, the horns of the altar shall be cut off and shall fall to the ground. I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. Can you imagine that? We thought it was just the United States of America that had winter houses and summer houses. No, this has been, you know, a habit of the wealthy for ever since, you know, you know man was created. And, and not necessarily a bad thing, but here in the middle of their excess, they forget the Lord. And, he, and, you know, and he's saying there, I'm going to destroy that winter house, that, 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 that winter lodge you have on Stratton Mountain in New Hampshire, the ski lodge you have, I'm going to destroy it, <laughs> is what he's saying. That cape house on the cape where you go snooze on the weekend, instead of worshiping your God, I'm going to take it. The houses of ivory shall perish. Is this crazy or what? A house of ivory? Now there is a reference in that Ahab, a century before, had a, a house of ivory. Um, but here, apparently here, it's getting to be a common thing. First Kings uh, 22 verse 39 uh, says this. It's one of these wrap-up verses. It says, now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the, uh, and the ivory houses which he made, you can read about in the book of, I, I, forget, I forget the name of the book that you could read it in, but, but there's a reference to these houses of ivory. Now, whether the entire house was ivory or the, the walls were inlaid, with ivory, I don't know. But, I mean, this was one rich place. These houses of ivory shall perish. And many times that kind of excess is a sign of judgment to come. I was reading about some of the things uh, that um, Americans spend their extra cash on uh, Louis Vuitton now has iPhone cases for $1,120. Does anyone have one here? Please don't raise your hand. We'll tar and feather you. There we go. Just throw it in the offering plate. You know. We'll put it on eBay. The product designer Ooms, O-O-O-M-S. Ever, anyone ever hear of it? You may, might not should admit that either. They have gold-plated staples. Here's what a magazine says describing it. You can't possibly expect anyone to fully understand just how filthy rich you are, really, unless your staples are gold-plated. Ooh, 
designer Angelo Galasso has $50,000 crocodile skin umbrellas. So th this description of it says at $50,000, this umbrella should come with someone to follow you around holding it over your head. Stephanie's father, who's a fisherman, will like this one. McDaddy's fishing lures, $1 million fishing lure they sell. $1 million. They actually have a pic picture of it, encrusted with diamonds, three pounds of platinum. It <laughs> means it's sure to sink fast, but we doubt it would help you catch a million-dollar fish. McDaddy'sFishingLures.com. And then Neiman Marcus has a $8,000 potato head. But um, anyway, you know, it, it, it's, it's a sign of, it, it, many times it's a sign of, the, uh, of judgment to come. And, and how, you know, I don't want to make light of something that's a very serious thing. You know, our, our money is the Lord's. Everything we have is the Lord's. Everything we have. I was so blessed to go visit uh, Richard and Melissa this week. Melissa, she's sitting on the bed with her new uh, baby, and she's just saying, she's just filled with the Holy Spirit, completely glowing, filled with the Holy Spirit, saying, you know, I know this kid's is the, th this child, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. And, and I know every, we frequently say that. We don't always mean it. She meant it. You could tell she understood it. And, and she said, the reason that I'm a mom is to take care of what is the Lord's. And it was just a beautiful thing. It ministered to me so much. You know, I'm supposed to be ministering to her, and she's ministering to me. Praise the Lord. The, the, the recognition that everything we have, our kids, our, um, our possessions, our houses, our umbrellas, <laughs> they're the Lord's. They're the Lord's. And, and we're given the privilege to take care of it. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we're not supposed to have a crocodile skin umbrella. Although, man, if you have one, you need to talk with me. I need to rebuke you about that. But, um, I, 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 but, 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 but seriously, um, we're, God does bless us with, with, with certain things. But it's when they become an idol where it's a sign of the judgment to come. Chapter four, so here, get this, are you ready for this, women? Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. Wow, this is one bold dude. He's calling the women cows. He's going up to Bethel and calling them cows, cows of Bashan. Remember Psalm 22, Jesus says, I'm surrounded by the bulls of Bashan. And, and, and here's the, he's calling them cows. They're just, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, when I think of this, I think of that, um, this is crazy and off the wall, but I think of that Gary Larson Farside comic from like 20 years ago. There's this, there's this, cow, this woman cow with a diamond necklace standing up with her drink, and she goes to her husband, you know, Harry, I'm just not content anymore. Uh, you know, see, it, it, Gary Larson's only for certain people, but, 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 but anyway, it, the, 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 the thinking is, is that they've, you know, not fat physically, but they've grown 
completely fat just spiritually. And, and, and they are, um, they're, it says they're oppressing the poor, they're crushing the needy, and they've just grown fat and unhappy, really, is what happens when they do that. Verse 2, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks. Now, this is what the Assyrians did. This is what these boys, the Assyrians, did. They took them away with fish hooks. They would literally put hooks in, in, in their, either their lips or their nose or somewhere else and tie them to one another and cart them away. That's what they did. Verse 3, you, who, you will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into harmon, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and announce the freewill offering. So the idea here where it says offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven it's, it's that idea that they're going to the altar of, uh, uh, of God with totally not letting go of sin and thinking that their offering and their thanksgiving is going to pre- please the Lord. They're forgetting one very important principle that I need to remind myself of. You know, worship, what we do on Sunday morning, worshiping, but I, really, the, just the worship and praise offering of our life. Yeah, okay, it's, it's important that we like the worship, but the real issue is, does God like the worship? Does God like our worship service? Is he enjoying it? You know, in, 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 uh, in the Old Testament, in David, when he's first bringing the Ark of the Covenant in First Kings to Jerusalem, he had, there's this, he calls all the nobles from all over Israel and they're having this incredible worship service on the way to Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. The problem is they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant in an ox's cart and the law says it was supposed to be on the shoulder of priests. And so Uzzah, at one point the Ark on the, on, 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 that was on the, uh, the, the oxen's cart the oxen would stumble and the, the ark almost falls off. Uzzah reaches out and touches it and he immediately is struck dead by the Lord. And for years it's like, wait, that is, whoa, is this like, is this my Jesus? Is this the Jesus that I love? Well, yeah, he's teaching them about holiness. And the idea there is that they were really enjoying their worship service. God wasn't. That's a sobering thought. You know, God wants us coming into the worship service, not sin-free, because we all have sin. We've got to let it go. You know, sometimes even, <laughs> I mean, this is a goofy example, and I don't want to throw anyone, anyone under the law here, please. But, <laughs> um, but this week, Ben, I'm going to use you as an example. Can I use you as an example, Ben? So I had an appointment with Ben to meet him at 3 o'clock. He wanted to talk with me. And I call him up at 2.30. He says, Ben, I just need to go out into the woods and pray. And so I'm driving out. I'm 15 or 20 minutes out of Boston. I'm like, 
How can I offer myself up to the Lord when I just broke a commitment? And I had to call him and I, say, I said, Ben, I, I, I apologize. I'll meet you there anyway. I can't go out and pray. I just, I just broke a commitment. And again, it, I, I don't want to throw anyone under the law here, but the, but the principle is important. You know, when we go to the Lord, we, gotta go, we have to go with, with, with a surrendered heart. And it says there they were offering um, uh, sacrifices of leaven. Verse seven. I also withheld rain from you when there was um, when there were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on in one city, and I withheld rain from another city. Now that's a strange verse. He says, I gave rain to one city, and I withheld it from another. In other words, he's making it really clear to them that God's doing something. You know, I, I, I was born in Massachusetts, moved down to Venezuela when I was nine, and it was awfully strange. Sometimes it would be raining in your front yard, and in your backyard it was sunny. Uh, but in Israel, that doesn't happen. And so when God makes it rain, raining in one village and a mile away, it's, it's sunny in another village, that's really weird is the idea here. And he would just bring drought on one city for a long period of time and rain in, uh, in another for a long period of time. And don't you guys get it? God, I'm trying to speak to you, is, is, is the idea here. Uh, one part was rained upon and where it did not rain, the, par- uh, the, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you, who have, yet you have not returned to me. Now verse nine through... Uh, 11 speak to the principle that you read in Hebrews chapter 12 that the Lord chastens those who are his. Verse 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees. The locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Verse 10, I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt with your young men I killed with a sword along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camp come upon, come up into your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. So that didn't work. Verse 11 says, I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I was talking this morning with a couple of the brothers about how the Lord, his character is mercy and he will not bring the final judgment until he exhausts his mercy. So we should be as well. Have you exhausted mercy with that person in your life that is just wronging you? That's what the Lord does with you. He's merciful to you until the mercy is exhausted and then there's no more room for mercy. And that's what he's doing here. He's, he, he starts out with blight and mildew in verse nine. They don't return to him. He moves to a plague uh, and, and that, that they don't turn him either. And, and, and in verse 11, he, he gets the mother load. He, does a, he pulls a Sodom and Gomorrah, and they still don't return to him. Therefore, verse 12, thus will I do for you, O Israel, 
because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. In other words, mercy is exhausted. I've exhausted my mercy with you. You are going to be judged. And they were. They were completely overrun by the Assyrians up here in Israel. And they were exiled. It was wiped out completely. Verse 13, For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is and makes the morning darkness and treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. Okay, the book of Amos. We're going to ha- close this evening with what we call extended worship time.